Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not perfect. Oh, mercy! Five, four, three, two, one. From inside the Masson Newsroom, it is the Masson All Access Podcast brought to you by Marymount University. Visit MarymountSaints.com to learn more about our student athletes and programs today. Paul Mancano and Brendan Mortensen here with you. And later on, we're going to have 49% of Cespedes Family Barbecue, Jake Mintz on. But for now, we just got Brendan. And uh, Brendan, what, how have you been keeping yourself busy? Have you been watching anything lately? And uh, like all questions, I'm just using this question as a way to talk about myself. But let's get your answer first. Well, listen, I've been, I've been watching a lot of Foolish Baseball YouTube videos. If you haven't watched, you got to check it out because I am now fully convinced you- that Andrew King Simmons is a Hall of Famer and that Juan Soto is the greatest hitter of all time. That's how I spent pretty much all of my time yesterday. We've had Foolish Baseball on this podcast before. Did, did, are you, uh, sp- is he a sponsor of this podcast? Because we should not be thrown uh, not, out other podcasts. I mean, we're already are thrown out the Ringer podcast as another podcast to listen to by having Cespedes Family Barbecue on. I mean, now we're we're getting into you know dangerous territory here, trying to send our viewers to other places to get their content. Well, listen, aren't we just one big podcast family? You know, I mean, no, we're not. We're not. Not, not really. No. Not, uh, not at all. Well, I'm glad you asked me what I'm watching because I, I watched Palm Springs last night. The uh, mm. Hulu movie with uh, Andy Samberg. It's like his take on Groundhog Day. Phenomenal. Absolutely hilarious. Heartwarming. I mean, I thought it was going to be a copy of Groundhog Day. It wasn't. It was inventive. Just just really loved it. Bobby Blanco is producing, and, and he's seen it. He gives his thumbs up. He's snapping behind the board. So positive reviews all around. Would highly recommend. And uh, we're going to have Andy Samberg on later on in the show. That's not true. Um, that would be fantastic. That would wow. be, that'd be a, a great guest um, mm. and a, a huge get. But first, Brendan, we got to talk about the Orioles news of the week. That would be Yasiel Puig. The rumor coming report Puig. rather from Mark Feinsand that the Orioles had made, quote, at least one offer for Yasiel Puig. What were your thoughts when you saw that report? Well, immediately, not looking at any of the stats, that is just the most fun thing that's ever happened. I love watching Yasiel Puig play baseball and for no other reason other than the amazing gifts that we would get out of it. I just want Yasiel Puig on the Orioles. Yeah, I just think it would be so much fun. From a content perspective, from our perspective, it would be a godsend because we are not going to have yeah. we're not going to have any fans in the stands most likely. We're, you know, players aren't even going to be probably celebrating with each other after homers in the dugout. So what are we going to do in terms of gifts and videos and fun things to keep fans entertained beyond the stuff on the field? Yossi, Just Yossi, Yossi, Yossi. Yeah, he could single handedly solve all those issues. Um, I think he would be just the, the excitement that he would bring, I think, to this team. It, you know, he is he's a name um, and he does bring some production to the plate right now in 2019 last year between the reds and the indians he hit 267 with 24 homers 84 rbis uh 19 stolen bases he struck out 133 times so that's not good so he's he's not he's not quite the player that i think a lot of people expected when he first 
uh, joined the big leagues with the Dodgers. I think a lot of people were had hopes of a perennial all-star just because of his size and his ability and his speed. Uh, he hasn't quite reached that potential. But look, at this point, the, or- the Orioles can't get too picky. I mean, Anthony Santander has still not ar- arrived in camp. Um, and, of course, the Orioles are keeping quiet about the guys that uh, are, you know, not with the team right now. So Santander's not there. DJ Stewart uh, is, is with the camp. But, um, uh, you know, who am I missing here? Dwight Smith Jr. Dwight Smith Jr. is not with the team right now. So you are without... You're without two outfielders who potentially could be your left fielder and your right fielder. Um, and even, so y- y- even if you did get Yasiel Puig, you might have to get another outfielder because that is how crazily thin they are at outfield right now. And I think Puig probably brings you around the same production that you'd get from Anthony Santander. I, I, Puig probably bring, brings a little bit more power, but you take that in the outfield right now, even if it's, you know, a duplicate production of Anthony Santander, but you said it, I mean, there's question marks in left field and right field right now. So you need just about all the help you can get. And I think Puig would be a big help, especially yeah. in this lineup. Cause I mean, it, even if you get one of those two guys back in Smith or Santander within the next couple days, Exhibition games start in a couple days, and opening day is a week from Friday. So, you know, if they're not 100% when you get these guys, they might not be ready for opening day because you might have to ramp these guys back up. And in that case, you're rolling with Austin Hayes in center field and uh, DJ Stewart in one of the corners, and then just question marks galore. You know, you, you still are not going to see Yosniel Diaz at this point. Um, and you're not going to see a Ryan McKenna at this point, and it sounds from what the team has been saying like Ryan Mountcastle is not going to start the, the season with the team. He's going to be most likely at the alternate site. So at this point, you, you literally have a hole. You have nobody there, uh, so just signing anybody to fill that hole uh, is, is a must at this point. Yeah, I think Puig almost goes from a fun idea to a necessity because yeah. if you don't have Anthony Santander or Dwight Smith Jr., what are you going to do? We literally have no idea. So I think Puig is not only a fun candidate to get signed, but also just might be a necessary one. Yeah. All right, Brendan, we are going to do some over-unders in a little bit. Uh, Got some not actually Vegas created. Simply, I created these because Vegas did not uh, does not have lines on all the Orioles statistics, believe it or not. Uh, But before we get to that, let's talk about the where we could stand after a 60 game season and what kind of production we could see from the Orioles uh, starters and their lineup. Um, And let's talk about the team leaders, where we think this team will be in 60 games at the end of the season on September 27th, who will lead the team in homers, average RBI, stolen bases, starter ERA, etc. Let's start with homers. The first one that I listed after this season ends, who do you think is going to lead the Orioles in home runs? I think it's going to be Renato Nunez. He had 31 home runs last year, which was second on the team behind Trey Mancini's 35. So he's first on the team in players that are returning. Among players that are returning to the team next year, Anthony Santander would be second with 20. But Nunez also was ahead of Santander in home runs per at bat. So I'm going to I'm going to go with Nunez. Yeah, I mean Santander. He he did have 20 in 93 games, but especially considering. At this point, we haven't seen anything of Santander, as mentioned. Um, I think that, yeah, Nunez is a safe bet. The only 
dark horse candidate I would throw out here is Chris Davis because who knows where what kind of production he could be putting up. Um, he His home run totals have gone down every season, but I think partly last year that was just due to the fact that he got fewer at-bats last year uh, than he had in previous years. And, I mean, it, you know, in, in 60 games, if he plays just out of necessity because you're not going to have Mancini um, and you're probably not going to have Mountcastle to start the season, Chris Davis, he could, in theory, play close to or all 60 games. So if he has, you know, double-digit homers, that could put him up near the team lead. And anything can happen in 60 games. We yeah. can see pretty much anybody in this lineup it have a really good stretch, and then all of a sudden they have a few games where they're hitting home runs like crazy, then they're near the top of the team leaderboards. So really anything can happen. There's so much variability. All right, uh, batting average. Who's going to lead the team in batting average in 2019? This one was a bit of a toss-up for me. I think the two strongest candidates are probably Hanser Alberto and Austin Hayes. I'm going to lean Hanser Alberto, led the team with a 305 batting average last year. Anthony Santander had a 261, and Austin Hayes was hovering around that 300 mark, but we haven't seen what Hayes is able to do in a full season. And we know that Alberto is one of the best hitters in the league against left-handed pitching, hit 398 last year. And when you look at his matchups, the Yankees, who the Orioles are going to play 10 times, have three lefties in the rotation. The Red Sox have three lefties in the rotation. The Rays have two. The Blue Jays have just one. But that's still a lot of chances for Hans or Alberto against left-handed pitching. So for that reason, I'm going to lean Alberto over Austin Hayes. Yeah, I think he's he's the safest bet. I think, you know, I, I think Hayes is certainly primed to have a good season, but he could get a little bit of a sophomore slump. And if he starts out in a sophomore slump, that could just derail his whole season, considering it's only 60 games. If he plays, you know, if he struggles for those first 20 games, he's already out of the running, most likely, for leading the team in batting average. Alberto seems like the safest bet. Dark horse here, I got to go with, call me crazy, but Rio Ruiz, just because I know he hit 232 last year, but he was on fire in Sarasota in spring training. It sounded like he had figured something out, and he has continued that uh, to turn heads. Uh, in summer camp at Oreo Park at Camden Yards over the past couple weeks. So I think it, you know, I think Alberto is by far the safest bet in this category, but I could see Ruiz getting up in the 280s potentially. This is, this is a long shot, I think, but I, I, I think it is a possibility just because I believe in the, the changes that he has made in the offseason. Uh, all right, next up, Brendan, stolen bases. This one's tough because the Orioles just didn't steal bases last year outside of Jonathan VR. But I'm going to go Austin Hayes. Had just two stolen bases last year in his 21 games. But when you look at the other guys on this roster that are returning for the 2020 season, Dwight Smith Jr. had five stolen bases, but that took him over 100 games. Hanser Alberto had four. That took him 139 games. And Jose Iglesias had six with the Reds, but that was in 146 games. So if you just look at the per-game averages, Austin Hayes was stealing bases about twice as frequently as those other guys. So I'm going to go with Hayes. I think he probably also has you know, some of the best speed on the team. I don't know how well that translates to the base pass. We haven't seen that too much, but I'm going to go with Hayes. Yeah, the, the Orioles are still without a number of base dealers, even in their system. I mean, beyond... Cedric Mullins, who finished the season with double A last year, so most likely we're not going to see him uh, much, if at all, with the big league club in 2020. Uh, and besides Ryan McKenna, and he's pre- almost definitely not going to be with the team in 2020, and Adam Hall, who's down in Delmarva, they don't have a ton of these guys that can steal bases. Richie Martin 
would have been my dark horse candidate, um, even though he was not a guaranteed starter um, in 2020 with the big league club. He had 10 stolen bases in 120 games with the O's last year, but we all know he broke his wrist and now he's going to have wrist surgery. So that is out of the question. So I think Hayes is really pretty much the only legitimate candidate to, to lead the team in stolen bases. Next up, RBIs. Who's the leader in RBIs on the Orioles in 2020? I think I'm going to go with Renato Nunez here. Second on the team in RBIs last season with 90 behind Trey Mancini's 97. Next highest, again, was Anthony Santander with 59. I think Nunez is going to continue to put up pretty good power numbers at that DH spot, and I think he gets consistent playing time at the DH spot, and he's going to be somewhere in the middle of the lineup, so I'm going to go with Nunez again. I would probably go Nunez at this point just because I I did have Santander, but with every day that goes by and we still don't see him, it's tough to 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 give him any kind of league leader or team leader rather in any category. Uh, you did mention he had fifty nine in in ninety three games last year, so um, you know I think he still has that potential. But again, if he misses the first week of the season, he could be out of the running there. OPS. Where you, where I'm going to go Austin. I'm going to go Austin Hayes. He had an OPS of nine forty seven in his games last year, which I know is a small sample size. But even if those numbers go down a little bit, if he's not able to sustain a close to 950 OPS over a 60 game season, I think even a dip puts him at the lead on this team. Anthony Santander had a 773 last season. Renato Nunez, I think, was around the same, around a 770. And again, I don't know if a 950 is sustainable, but even if that drops 100 points, he's still an 850, and that's well in the lead. So I'm going to go with Austin Hates, but I wouldn't be surprised either if we see a Nunez or a Santander pop up near that lead. Yeah, I mean, when I was putting together these lists, it was just crazy how many of these statistical categories you had Mancini and VR 1-2 in different orders. Um, right. And losing those two guys just kind of throws things um, you know, out of whack here because OPS last year, it was Mancini and VR. It was pretty much same for RBIs and homers in different orders. So, yeah, I, I think anyone, any one of the Nunez, Santander, Hayes, I think those three guys are probably going to be your leaders there. I mean, Alberto, I think, is going to have a great average, as mentioned. I think he's going to lead the team in, in batting average, but still does not walk a, a whole lot. By the way, he had the lowest, lowest strikeout rate of any player with a qualified number of at-bats last year. So uh, he puts the bat on ball. So, I mean, Alberto is just a more one of the more underrated players in baseball still. But he doesn't hit a whole lot of homers, so that OPS number is not going to be crazy high. Uh, all right, to the pitchers. Starter ERA, who you got, Brendan? I think this one's a pretty easy choice with John Means. Yeah. Led the team last year with a 3.6 ERA. The next highest returning starter was Asher Wojciechowski with an ERA of almost five. I think the only way that John Means doesn't lead the team in ERA this year is if Alex Cobb all of a sudden decides it's seven years ago and plays like he did in 2013 and 2014 with Tampa when he had a sub three ERA. But I think in pretty much every other scenario, it's John Means. Yeah, I think so too. But that being said... You know, we talk about small sample size being an issue for position players could be even more of a, an issue for uh, starters because, you know, they're, they're only going to make a handful of starts here. And if they miss one start, that's a huge, huge uh, detriment. So I think, you know, 
I, I don't think means, and we'll, we'll touch about it in the over-unders, I don't think he's going to have quite the season that he had last year. But it, it's not going to be too easy to lead this staff, I think, in starter ERA, and I think means is the most likely candidate here. All right, let's get to those over-unders because we have teased them. Brendan, I came up with a number of over-unders for the Orioles season, individual statistics. You got to tell me what you would bet in Vegas. Uh, you got to go, we'll, we'll start with Alex Cobb starts. I'm going to give you six and a half Alex Cobb starts in 2020. Are you going over or under? So I played the optimist with a few of these over-unders here. I'm going to go over. Okay. In the past few seasons, if Cobb has gotten hurt, uh, it's been in the beginning of the season. So I think if Cobb stays healthy, he's pretty solidly the Orioles' number two starter, which means he will probably get more than six and a half starts. So I'm going to say that Cobb stays healthy. I hope all signs have been pointing in the right direction for the season. So I'm going to say over six and a half starts because if he's in the rotation, he's going to be pitching pretty frequently. Right. Um, He did just make three starts last year. He started injured. Came into, essentially started a few games, really struggled last year, and then um, went on the injured list and did not return. So I'm going to go under here uh, just because until we see him consistently in the rotation, uh, it's tough to say that he's going to be a consistent contributor at this point. He's never started 30 games in a season over the course of his career. Uh, It would be awesome, I think. I think... If the Orioles got seven or more starts out of, out of Alex Cobb, I think they'd be happy. They, they would have to be productive starts. It wouldn't be anything. It has to be nothing like what we saw from him last year where he really struggled. Uh, but I think seven is a, a reasonable and reasonably low expectation for Alex Cobb in 2020. Yeah, I, I think if he's in the rotation consistently, I don't think he's going to be I don't think he's going to struggle as much as he did last season. I think a lot of that had to do with coming back from injury. But I I think this year, if he's in the rotation, I think he'll be solid enough to stay in it throughout the season. All right. Uh, Next up on our over-unders, Brendan. Ryan Mountcastle, games played. I set the over-under. I had nowhere, no idea of where to set this over-under, but I set it at 20 and a half games played in 2020, over or under. I'm going to go over again because my thinking with Ryan Mountcastle is that he either plays 40 games or he plays zero. Yeah. I don't think there's any scenario where you throw Ryan Mountcastle in for 20 games. I just don't see it. So I think he's going to get called up at some point. Brandon Hyde has said that he's close to the major league level, just not quite there yet. So I would suspect that maybe he would start at this training facility, second location, whatever it turns out to be for a few weeks. And then you call him up with 40, 50 games left in the season. So I'm going to go over. I I just don't see a scenario where you waste a year of service time with playing Ryan Mountcastle in 20 games. Yeah. He met with reporters via zoom yesterday, sounded a little bit disappointed because uh, he had just been sent back down to the minors when spring training uh, ended or was cut short rather back in March. And he believes he should be with the major league club. I think a lot of fans believe he should be, but the team just is not ready to stick him at a defensive position clearly. And they don't want to have him start at DH. So to me, I went under 20 and a half games just because I do think they will save him. Maybe not entirely. I think maybe he could get a tiny run at the end of the season. If, 
if he's not going to get a full year of service time, I think they might run him out there for maybe 15 games uh, at the end of the year in left field just to see how he is and not add a year of service time and start that clock for him. So I went under here, but he's going to be one of the biggest storylines throughout the summer, pretty much no matter where he starts uh, the the regular season. All right, next up on our over-unders, Brendan. Renato Nunez homers, 12 and a half. All right, so I went completely sabermetrics on this one. I did the math. If you look at his per-game numbers from last year, mm-hmm. Nunez hit a home run in a little less than every five games, 31 right. homers in 151 games. Now, let's assume Nunez is going to play somewhere in the range of – I was generous. I said that he's only going to play in 55 games. I think there's a chance he plays more because he's at that DH spot. You're not getting tired playing defensive yeah. positions. Let's say he plays maybe 55 games. That would bring his estimated home run total to about 11 and a half. So I'm being a little conservative on his games with just 55, uh, but because math, I'm going to go under. Wonderful sabermetrics there, Brendan. Uh, Thank you. I am going to go slightly over, but I don't really have a reasoning. I didn't do any of the math. I just kind of picked a number, and uh, and I'm going to go over here. Just kind of felt like it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I did a lot of these, okay? I, you know, yeah. I, I, I have to be able to phone in at least one. Um all right, Chris Davis homers, nine and a half over under. All right, you ready for this? Ma- this was even more sabermetrics than I had Are ever talked before. We're talking something other than division because, th- you know, yeah. that, that might be too heavy math for you. Yeah, I, I can't do that. I, right. I was a broadcast major, I wasn't a math major. Yeah. So it, Davis hit a home run last season about every eight and three quarters games. That's 12 home runs in his 105 games. So let's assume Davis plays 50 games. Somewhere around there, sure. that would put him at six home runs using the numbers from last year. But everything we've seen leading up to the season, everything that the coaches have been saying is that Chris Davis just looks different than he has the last few seasons. So I'm going to use his numbers from the 2017 season to try and project where he had 26 home runs in 128 games. That's a home run about every five. So if you take those numbers and apply it to a 50-game season <laughs> this year, I, I'm saying 50 games. I don't know how many da- games Chris Davis is going to play. Sabermetrics are complicated. That would put him at a little over 10 home runs. So I am all aboard the Chris Davis hype train. This is the comeback season. I'm going Chris Davis over nine and a half home runs because sabermetrics. Yeah, I mean, if... Like I said earlier in the podcast, if he's healthy, he may have to play all 60 games because you don't, have Trey, could. you don't have Trey Mancini and you have a limited number of outfielders at this point. So there there isn't going to be much overflow. I mean, unless you want to throw Renato Nunez at first base every now and again or a guy like Taylor Davis, if he makes the club and you want to throw him at first. Or then, maybe if Ryan Mountcastle just struggles in the outfield, true. you could possibly throw him at first as well. Yeah, if, so they, if, they decide to make, if they decide to make that transition. But I think... Conservatively, I think he legitimately could play uh, all 60 games here. So he's going to get the opportunities. I do have over here as well. He had just 12 home runs, as you mentioned, in 105 games last year. But he's bigger. I'm buying the hype. I I think the strikeout total is still going to be very, very high for Chris Davis. But I think his home run total will be back up close to. He'll be hitting home runs close to the rate that we saw him hitting home runs back in 2016-17. Maybe not his MVP season level, but I think he is going to be 
the, the power will return for the most part for Chris Davis. All those balls that we saw die on the warning track last year, I think a lot of those are going to be going over the fence this year. Uh, all right. Chris Davis, Utah Street homers. I set this at one and a half over under, Brendan. Uh, I'm going to go under. I think he gets one. I don't know the exact number of times that Davis has hit it onto Utah Street. I want to say it's eight or nine. Somewhere around there. I, I have no idea. I walk past that every day going to work. The the marks on Utah Street yeah. and their names and how far they hit it and the date. And I couldn't tell you. I saw an article that was from 2017 that said he had the record with eight. He definitely so has gonna, the record. I know that. Right. So I'm going to guess that maybe he's gotten one or two more since 2017. I don't really know. I'm going to say under. I think he gets one. If he only has eight or nine in his career, I think it's a little generous to say that he's going to get two in a 60-game season. I'm going to go with one. Yeah, I, I mean, and they're, right. they're only playing 30 games at home, obviously. So, right. Um, yeah, I, I am going to go barely over. I think he hits two. Uh, he, in the no-fans game several years ago at Camden Yards, he hit one onto Utah Street. So, I don't know. Maybe there is something to uh, him playing without fans in the stands. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go too. I'm I am just throwing that out there. Chris Davis two Utah Street home runs, and we've heard from the coaching staff that he's been doing it in BP. So um, more power to him. All right. Next up, Stevie Wilkerson games pitched. I set this at a conservative half game pitched for Stevie Wilkerson over under. I am absolutely slamming me over on this one. Stevie Wilkerson pitching is a national treasure. I think Orioles fans would be cheated if we didn't get to see at least one game of Stevie Wilkerson pitching. I'm going to say he gets one because why not? It's fun. It's Stevie. Yeah. I mean, if they play 60 games, they're probably going to need a position player pitching at least once. And I think if he is on the major league roster and considering how few outfielders they have at this point, he probably will at least start the season on the major league roster. He's going to be the first call from Brandon Hyde to a position player. So yes, I do think he gets in a game this year. I don't know if we see a Chris Davis come into a game. I don't know if we see Hanser Alberto come into a game like we did last year, but I do think we see Stevie Wilkerson pitch in a game in 2020, uh, which is, is truly a delight. Let Stevie pitch. All right, next up. Over under 3.75, that is John Means' predicted ERA. Are you going over or under that in 2020? This one was tough. I'm going to go over, I think. Fewer starts means that it could pretty much go way lower or way higher because there's so much variability. I don't think it'll go a ton higher, but I think Means might hover around the 4 area just because of the fact that the Orioles have one of if not the not the most tough schedule in the league you've got the lineups of the Yankees Red Sox Rays Nationals Braves Mets Phillies that's a gauntlet yeah and I mean when you look at his numbers last year had an ERA of almost eight against the Yankees ERA of close to four against the Rays was pretty good against the Red Sox and Blue Jays but I don't know I I think it's just going to be tough there are a lot of good lineups that means it's going to have to face and he's going to have to pitch really well against really good teams. And I think there could certainly be some starts where he goes 7-2 earned, but it's going to be hard to keep that up, quite frankly, against 
so many good hitters. Yeah, I'm a little concerned with his ERA in the second half of the season last year being 4.85. He was definitely deserving of an all-star nod in the first half of the season, but he did struggle in that second half. Concerns me just enough to say that I'm going to go over here. I, I, I think it's... If I had to guess, I think it hovers around four, um, but I do think it's going to be over uh, 3.75. But that being said, I do still think he has the best ERA of the starters on this team. All right, next up, Brandon Hyde ejections, 0.5. So does he get ejected in a game this season? And what will that look like in an empty stadium? Will we be able to hear the words that are exchanged between Brandon Hyde and the umpire if he is ejected? I think we will hear it, and I think it'll be just absolutely incredible. I'm going to go – I think he gets ejected at least once. I would right? think so. I would think it's so. It's happen once. I mean, he had three last year, so you extrapolate that. He's going to have one. That was sabermetrics right there. Right. There yeah. you go. And and my question is, you know, if I were producing that game or directing that game, I might just have to mute all the field mics anytime you see the manager come out of the dugout because you know that you're going you're gonna to pick something up and you might even hear it on the broadcaster's microphone. That's how loud these guys get. I think you, you just got to be careful there. So I do think Brandon Hyde does get ejected. Uh, we might see some some uh, rubbing of the, uh, the I don't know, the lines. We, we, we could see some antics. That's all I'm saying, Brendan. Listen, I think it's going to be a joy. <laughs> Give me all the hot mics possible. I think it's super fun. Just just let him go at it. John be Boy, great. Yeah, John Boy is going to have a field day this year. Speaking of John Boy, Labor Torres home runs against the Orioles. They play them 10 times. I set this at three and a half over under. I, you know where I'm going with this. I'm slamming the over. <laughs> Glaber Torres turns into the greatest baseball player of all time against the Orioles. He hit 13 home runs in 17 games last year. So if you put that in a 10-game series against the Orioles that puts him at around seven home runs. Even if he only plays eight or nine games, I think he could realistically hit five, six. I I don't know what happens to Gleyber Torres. It is possibly the world's greatest mystery, but he turns into the greatest baseball player of all time against the Baltimore Orioles. There's just, there's no way around it. It's just going to happen between, between Gleyber Torres and Xander Bogarts of players that just traditionally have absolutely dominated the Orioles. Uh, it is going to be a rough run for Orioles pitchers there. Last one for you, Brendan. Trades. How many trades are the Orioles going to make in 2020? I just set this at a half trade. So are they going to make a trade at all in this season? I'm going to say yes. I think at least one trade okay. gets made. I, I think you could possibly see a guy like Michael Givens get traded if a contender needs bullpen help. A contender always needs bullpen help. Yeah. And I think if Michael Givens starts the season out well, he's a very solid trade candidate. We thought maybe he was going to get dealt last season at the deadline, but he didn't really have a season that was up to his standards. So maybe this is the year where he gets dealt to a contender Possibly Renato Nunez. I don't know if the Orioles would deal Nunez, but if a contender needs DH help, you never know. And hey, maybe Alex Cobb just has a resurgent season out of nowhere and provides value to a contender somewhere as a starter. I, I think there's a pretty good possibility that at least one guy gets traded. I'm, I'm on the other side. I just don't see much movement being done happening around baseball at all in 2020. I think it's this one is a total wild card because we just have no idea how GMs are going to approach this. Uh, right. 
I don't think they're gonna they're gonna make a move just because I think teams contenders are gonna be more conservative about only getting guys for like thirty games, and I think Mike Elias is gonna be very very careful not to give away pieces. Um, it, just given this shortened season. Uh, so I'm going to say no trades. But that was fun, Brendan. Thanks for doing the over-unders and the, the team predictions. And uh, we will uh, we'll see you next week. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Now we're joined by 49% of Cespedes Family Barbecue. And that is be Jake Mintz, who joins us via Zoom with a, one of the best hats I have ever seen. He always brings the, the fire in terms of his wardrobe. And he got another great one. Let's see it. I've got my uh, 1996 American League wildcard Orioles hat, which it's funny, right? Because they didn't, it wasn't like the wildcard game at that point, right? <laughs> yeah. It was just like, they won the wildcard, yeah. I guess. And you can barely see the, and it doesn't say American League wildcard. You can barely see the year at the top. That is just yeah. phenomenal. Did they even, they won, right? Yeah, they won. They won their, their series and then yes. they lost to Cleveland. In 96, right? yes. Right. Yeah. Um, they went 88 and 74 and they got a hat. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's not a bad consolation prize, honestly. Uh, all right. Well, we brought you in here because we got to talk about one man and one man only. That would be Yasiel Puig. The report coming from Mark Feinsand that the Orioles had made at least one offer for Puig. What was your reaction upon hearing that news? I mean, immediately like excitement, right? If yeah. P- Yasiel Puig is no longer or at least has not been like the elite player he was when he first came up with the Dodgers. Um, But he is still on a very short list of most entertaining players in the league. And for me as an Orioles fan, watching a team that is very unlikely to win, go 60 and zero in this shortened season, I am just looking for reasons to turn on the television, right? Yeah. I'm looking for things that I want to see. Right. And, and part of that is, is prospects, right, is seeing some of these prospects make their debut. But part of that is just like good, exciting baseball players. And there is no one really more exciting than <laughs> Yasiel Puig. Right. And yeah. so I, I tweeted this. But as someone who grew up watching the Orioles in the mid 2000s, those were not good baseball teams, but they had fun players on them. They had reasons to tune in. Right. Like, you know, early young Nick Markakis and Brian Roberts and Miguel Tejada, like Javi Lopez even that one weird Sammy Sosa season, right? Like it was still cool. Like you still like, I'm like, holy crap. Like I get to go see Sammy Sosa at Camden Yards. Like, yes, please. Right. (laughs) And it's not like I can go to Camden Yards this year, you know, but I will watch Yasiel Puig. I will watch more Orioles games than I would have otherwise if Yasiel Puig is on the team is how I would phrase it. That's a good way to put it. I mean, that it is crazy. Just the number of guys that finished out their career or had at least a cup of coffee with the Baltimore Orioles in the 2000s. Jim Tomey's on that list. It is just, there. there's a crazy number of Hall of Famers that have at one point donned an Orioles uniform during the, the 2000s. One of, my, one of my unsubstantiated fake takes is that <laughs> the Orioles, and I'll call it a, I'll call it a mini dynasty from 2012 <laughs> to 2016. Yeah, I can't. most wins in the American League. Most wins in the American League. That doesn't happen without Vlad Guerrero's 2011 season. <laughs> I don't have any reason for that. I don't have any proof. Yeah. But it's true. Yeah. That, that's that's a wonderful take with no evidence behind it whatsoever. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, well, make your case besides the entertainment value to Mike Elias to sign this guy, because I, I think it's I, I do think it's a little ridiculous at this point. 
he he still is not. I, I said it earlier on the podcast, but he he's not the you know the player that I think a lot of people expected when he first came up with the Dodgers. Um, but he still had over one WAR last year. Uh, he still was traded to a contending team at the deadline last year. Uh, he still has you know twenty five homer power. Why has this guy not been signed for so long? And and what would be your argument to Mike Elias to sign him? Okay, my argument is very simple, and I don't mean this with any disrespect, but like he's better than DJ Stewart, right? <laughs> it's like that simple. And I understand there's something about like ha- getting your young players reps, like yeah. that's important, right? I get that, right? But at the end of the day, like Yasiel Puig is a like weathered at this point experienced major leaguer. And that makes me sound so old. I feel this <laughs> like I'm 24. Right. But like the idea that I'm like arguing for Puig is like the veteran presence is a hilarious place. I never thought I would end up. But yeah, I, I really think it's that simple, right? If you want to win as many baseball games as you can, you want to get as many good players as you can on your team. And Yasiel Puig improves the Orioles this season. Now, in a normal year, in a normal year, I would say that you could sign Puig and then trade him halfway through the year to a contender who might need him. Right. However, in the coronavirus madness that we're about to jump into, I am I have reservations about the morality of like signing a guy for three weeks only <laughs> to ship him across the country in the middle of a pandemic. Like I'm not going to advocate for that. Right. Yeah. But in a normal year, that would make sense as a as a move. Uh, I don't think that's why they'd sign him. I I don't think the Orioles would sign a guy for three weeks and then trade him (laughs) right now. That just seems ridiculous. Um, And to answer your question as to why he's not been signed, I think there's a, that's a super difficult, complicated one. Yeah. You know, the, the, the vibe, the rumors around Puig as a person, as a teammate, as someone in the clubhouse, very, more than really any other player in baseball. Like I've heard people who've played with him who loved the guy who loved being around the energy every day. And then there are people who were just like absolutely fed up with him. And like, that's understandable, right? Like there are, we all know people like that. Like, I'm sure I was like that when I was playing college baseball, right? (laughs) Like, that's fine. You know, I think that I don't know this. I don't have any inside info. My understanding from where I sit is like, if I'm Yasiel Puig, I want to get paid for what I could be, for what I maybe used to be, right? Like Yasiel Puig wants to be paid as Yasiel Puig, the all-star, whereas teams want to pay him as Yasiel Puig, the very exciting one and a half war player, Yeah, right? And he probably falls somewhere in between those things. And I assume that's where we'll end up whenever he does sign with the team. Um, And then the last interesting thing is that there was a report that he got an offer to go play in Korea that, the Kiwoom heroes who ended up giving the spot to Addison Russell for some reason, uh, initially made that offer to Puig. And so, and he turned it down, which tells us that he believes he thinks that he is going to play in the major leagues this year. He would not have turned it down otherwise. Right. Yeah. So I think we'll see Puig on a team. Will it be the Orioles? God, I hope so. <laughs> but if I had to bet, I would bet it's the giants and then the Orioles and then everybody else. Why the Giants? There were reports leading back, you know, a month or so ago that the Giants were going to do it. And I think if you're looking for a team that like needs to have exciting players, it's the Giants. Here you go. Name two Giants outfielders. Go. <laughs> right now. Do it. Can't. I know this is this I know this is like the Billy Eichner name a woman bit. Like, <laughs> yeah. but 
Right. You can't yeah. like, yeah. you know, you know, Yaz, you know, baby Yaz. Yo, and yeah. then you have to know Yaz. Hunter uh, Pence is back there. Is, is he back? I totally He's back there. One of the many storylines I totally forgot. And then they got like Austin Slater. And like, it's just like <laughs> yeah. the Osceola Puig fits perfectly there. Right. Yeah. And now that Bob Garner's gone, he could actually be on the team. Yeah. I mean, uh, him also playing for Gabe Kapler would just be electric. And I would love to see them have a lift off, like <laughs> who can bench for. Yeah, I mean, he's not going to be able to lick bats this year, so that's a huge concern. Okay, so I had a conversation about this. Uh, we had talked about this on the podcast on All our right. podcast, and I basically made the argument that, like, actually licking his own bat is fine if he's the only one using it, like it's still weird and they probably won't let him do it. But like, if you're looking at it from like a contact tracing perspective, like it's his back. Right. Yeah. yeah. And as long as no one else is touching it, it's fine. And then my little sister who is not a baseball fan, listened to the podcast (laughs) and she said, what part of the bat is Yasiel Puig licking? Because if he's licking the barrel, it's touching the ball. Exactly. And that's going into the field. Yeah. But if he's licking the handle, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think, yeah, exactly. I mean, he does, I th- from a close film analysis, I think he does lick the barrel. So that's, that's a huge concern. A huge, huge concern. Huge concern. <laughs> that's the, that's probably all the conversations the teams are having with him right now is whether or not he can lick the bat. And that, that's probably his only contract demand uh, at this oh. point. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, some great insight on Puig as, as a player, um, as a, you know, a clubhouse presence, it, it's going to be fascinating to see where he ends up. Um, and hopefully he does end up on some team at some point in 2020. And I know a lot of O's fans hope that it is Baltimore, but before we get you out of here, Jake, I do want to ask about, uh, the minor league teams because no one knows minor league teams. Almost no one knows minor league teams as much as you do, uh, considering the number of teams that you have seen in person and games you have been to and especially Maryland teams and the Baltimore Orioles affiliates because you grew up in Maryland and you've been to a ton of Bowie Bay Sox games and and Frederick Keys games what kind of challenges are these teams going through at this point and and what can fans do do you think to to try to help these teams along I mean a big part of it I'll start with just the Orioles specific stuff you know I think Orioles fans are incredibly lucky, incredibly lucky to have all of those affiliates so close to the big league club. There is no team in baseball in the whole league that has all of their affiliates that close. Cleveland has a lot of their affiliates close, but not all of them. No one is more geographically centered than the Orioles, right? Between Aberdeen, Delmarva, Bowie, Frederick, Norfolk, right? Getting to go to all of those places, you know, like a lot of them, I've actually never been to Norfolk. I've been to all the other ones mm-hmm. like Delmarva, Bowie and Frederick all feel super similar as a space. Yes. Like you could just like pick up that stadium and put it in the other city. And I wouldn't really notice depending on like how good the teams was like the uniforms are very similar. Like it's all one kind of thing. Yeah. Aberdeen is obviously very different because it's on the Cal Ripken complex and the stadium's much newer. Um, so yeah, Orioles fans generally, like whenever the world resumes, uh, go to these places, like it's a very enjoyable experience. It's cheap, you know, it's affordable. Like how many Orioles fans can afford to sit behind home plate at Camden Yards, right? Not a lot, yeah. but most of them can go afford to sit behind home plate at Frederick. And it is, you know, it is such a beautiful place to be in terms of what people can do to support these teams. Now, I mean, a lot of it is like 
buying gear. Yeah. You know, if you've ever been to a minor league game and like you wanted a Frederick keys hat and didn't get it, like get it now. <laughs> um, because really these teams, w- the reason that the major league season is happening. And I don't want to debate the merits of that right now. We did that on the podcast, on our <laughs> podcast. You can go listen to that. I don't have time for that right now, but yeah. the reason that that is able to happen financially is because so much of major league teams incomes, their revenue are based off of, right? Like broadcasting and advertisement and, and, and not necessarily just gate receipts at the minor league level. It's just butts and seats, yep. right? And gear and merchandise. And so if that money is off the table for these teams, there's no money coming in other than merchandise, other than like donations, right? Or, you know, money from the ownership group that might have, you know, a conglomerate of different minor league affiliates that they own. So the thing that fans can do is like, you know, buy that Del Marva, Shorebirds, Grayson Rodriguez bobblehead you've always wanted, right? <laughs> like that's it. That's the move. Yeah. So I am I am worried. I'm concerned also like placing this in the larger movement of MLB trying to contract some of these teams. Um, I, I think that next season, hopefully we see a resumption of minor league baseball. I think it could be limited to some extent just based upon where the virus is at. Um, Especially, you know, with fans still it, I think just like if you have ever have the opportunity to go, go, it's way worth your time. I cannot recommend it enough. Yeah. Well put. Very well put. And yeah, that there are so many ways that you can support them financially and try to help them along and and just just keep, you know, the the support up for these teams because these teams are going through a lot at this point. But um well said and then thanks for you're you're looking around like you have is there a fly in your apartment? No, I'm seeing if I have any minor league stuff like Oh, gotcha. Like literally from I, where I'm sitting, from where I'm sitting, I have all my hats up here. Nice. Okay, I've got this is a Lancaster Jethawks hat. Uh-huh. This that, is, is there a, a chance the rapper hat in there too? Just that is a chance the rapper hat. <laughs> yeah, I I totally forgot I even owned that. Um, this is a South Bend Silverhawks hat, which no longer exists. Okay, that's the Brooklyn Cyclones, mm-hmm. um, which are here. And then my new one, which is a team that hasn't even really gotten started yet because of the pandemic, is the. Um, Rocket City Trash Pandas. Oh, yeah. Nice. That is an awesome logo. Yeah, I love that one. So, yeah, there's so much good minor league gear out there. Go buy it. Yeah, exactly. I just got a pair of uh, Delmarva Shorebirds masks. I mean, that that's a way that like a legitimate product that could actually help you at this point. Uh, That's a good one. I got to I got to get one of those like walking around. Also, like if you get a Delmarva Shorebirds mask you will spark up a conversation with someone else who sees it on the street if they know what it is. Yes, exactly. That is, especially yeah. if you're on the Eastern Shore. Well, Jake, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, I hope you tell your boss, Michael Bauman, that he's not the real Michael Bauman, that the real Michael Bauman is is in the Orioles system and he's a 6 He knows pitcher. Okay. He knows. He knows. <laughs> Good to know. Well, thanks so much for hopping on here. Really appreciate it. And uh, we'll see. Well, who knows? In a couple of days, we'll see if uh, we can, you know, catch your tweets and your podcast about Yasiel Puig if the Orioles sign him. Speaking of which, though, plug your pop podcast real quick. Uh, our podcast is called Baseball Barbecue. It is on the Ringer Podcast Network. New episode went up on Tuesday morning, just now, uh, talking about summer camp, spring training 2.0, training camp, whatever the hell it is. <laughs> uh, we talked to Trevor Williams of the Pirates and Sterling Sharp on the Marlins about their experiences as players and Lindsay Adler of the athletic about the experience of covering it. Uh, yeah, it's a baseball podcast. That's it. Like it's <laughs> fun. Go. go listen to it. And then the last thing I'd like to plug is Orioles 60 and 0 who says no. There you go. 
Perfect. Thanks so much, Jake. <laughs> That's all we got for the Mass and All Access podcast today, which is, of course, brought to you by Marymount University. Visit MarymountSaints.com to learn more about our student athletes and programs today. Please rate, review, subscribe. Let us know what you think of the podcast. Thanks, as always, to Bobby Blanco, Hannah Broder, Jake Mintz, and Brendan Mortensen for joining today's podcast. You can catch the Mass and All Access podcast on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Watch it on YouTube. Watch it on Mass and All Access Facebook page. Anywhere you can get your podcast. You can get the Mass and All Access podcast. I'm Paul Mancano. We'll see you next week.